Well, before we take one more look in the life and ministry of Jonah, I wanted to give you some, uh, an update from some family news. Last weekend in all of our services, we voted to affirm three changes to our bylaws. And I wanted to let you know that all three of those passed 95% approval affir affirmation. So I just want to say thank you for trusting the elders of our church. These are men who are committed to seeking God's heart to make changes that are necessary in our organizational structure or in the function of our church so that we can keep focused and chasing this mission that God has called us to. I want you to know as an elder and the lead pastor that we're committed to following hard after God, wherever he would lead us. And I also want you to know that we're accountable. We're accountable to God. We're accountable to each other. We're accountable to this congregation that God has called us to shepherd and to lead. I also wanted to let you know that even though last week's affirmation gives permission and authority to the elders to hire pastoral uh, staff without the congregation's vote, I wanted you to know that there's a process in place. It's not just friends of Phil who get kind of to, to work here. Actually, there's a, a very well thought out process. I'm accountable to that process. Everyone is on our team, as well as we will do our best to introduce you and, and make you familiar with the people that we are uh, hiring and uh, any new pastoral hires, you would have a chance to meet and get to know as we onboard them and as they start their ministry here. So thank you for your trust and thank you for your partnership and what God has called us to. Now we want to take one last look at the life uh, ministry of Jonah. I hope in the past seven days, you took the opportunity to read the book of Jonah from front to back, uh, four chapters. If you did, the bad news is there's no extra cookies. Sorry, I just, you know, just wanted you to do that for the good of the experience, okay? Here's good news, though. If you didn't, by chance, the book of Jonah is still there. You still can, okay? It's not going to evaporate when we're done here today, all right? So I would encourage you to take a, a, a chance to read through the book of Jonah. As we've looked at this man's life and, and his ministry, it's real easy to point our bony finger at this man who disobeyed God, who uh, fell asleep in the bottom of this boat, who uh, had this rotten attitude about about the people of Nineveh, even when God showed them mercy. My assistant, her name's Connie, and she does, uh, helps me a lot with research. When the, we were planning this series, and the very, before the first sermon, she put it on a little sticky note or something she wanted me to read. This Jonah is a real curmudgeon, is what she said. Now, because I'm from Kentucky, I had to Google the, what the word curmudgeon meant. And here's the definition. A curmudgeon is somebody who has a bad temper, somebody who's difficult a cantankerous person. There's a reason I believe that the Bible is the authentic word of God without error. Here's one of the reasons I believe that is because the Bible doesn't wrap things up with a nice pretty bow. It's, it's not filled with fairy, fairy tales where it all works out in the end. Like not every frog that gets kissed turns into a prince. The Beauty doesn't always choose the beast. The animals don't always return home safely after traveling thousands of miles, right? The Bible gives us pictures of people who lived good lives and were great examples to follow. And it also includes people who didn't get it right the first time, who don't have it all together. And I think it does that because it's real, it's authentic. It can be trusted. And so today, I want us to, to look at this with a lens on the, on the life and ministry of Jonah. Because I think there's some people who've maybe been here all four weeks, but can't get past the, the reality that this fish swallowed a human. 
And because of that, you kind of draw a line and say, okay, I can't get past that, so I can't get past the rest of it. I want you to know this morning that there's two good reasons that you can count on with factuality, the, the reality that Jonah lived in his ministry there. And here's two reasons. The first is this. Jesus believed that Jonah existed, that he was sent to Nineveh, and that the people of Nineveh repented. In fact, he was willing to base his identity and his credibility on the reality of, Noah, of Jonah. And here's how I know that, because he said so. Matthew chapter 12, listen to the words of Jesus. He's actually responding to some criticism, people who are questioning his identity. Who is this guy who's teaching and healing and casting out demons? And they're asking for a sign. Give us a sign that we know that you actually are who you say you are. And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 12, these words. In verse 29, he says this. A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was willing to stake his reputation and his credibility on the existence of Jonah. The second reason we can trust the life of Jonah to be true is the way that the book of Jonah ends. Like I said, the, the Bible's not a fictionary tale that wraps it all up in this pretty nice little package. Jonah doesn't make all the right decisions, nor does he have the right heart at all the times. He is a curmudgeon, and yet God still works through him. That's good news for all of us, that God is sovereign, even over our disobedience, and can accomplish his, purchase, his purposes. Let's see how the book of Jonah ends. If you want, turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. If you want to use the Bible provided for you, if you have it on your device or you have your own copy, let's look how the book of Jonah ends. Jonah chapter 4, we'll pick it up where we left off last week in verse 5. This is what it says. Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and he sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm and it chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, Jonah said. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. Jonah doesn't end on a pretty note. It leaves a dangling question that we don't discover the answer to. Does Jonah care more about the plant than he does about the things of God? 
God says to Jonah, you, you're worried about this plant. You didn't bring it into the world. You didn't even take it out of the world. And yet you're so fixated about this plant that you're missing my heart. You're missing what I care about. And God says, do you not care about the 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their left hand from the right? It begged the question, who is God talking about? He is not talking about people who live south of the Ohio River, okay? He is maybe talking about children. The message translation translates the word there as those who are childlike. And I think that would be a fair interpretation. The New Living Translation says this, it's those people living in spiritual darkness. I think those are both really solid pictures of who God's concerned about. He's concerned about people. He's concerned about children who are precious to him. And he is concerned about those who are living in spiritual darkness outside of his grace and his love. Those are the people that God's questioning Jonah's heart for. Jonah ends with this cliffhanger. It's a question because we all must answer the question. Do we care about the same things that God cares about? I think this question lingers at every point of Jonah's life. I mean, if Jonah cared about God's mission enough, he would have obeyed the first time and gone to Nineveh like God asked him. If he cared about those who were worshiping false idols, he wouldn't have been sleeping in the bottom of the boat while the sailors above the boat would have been crying out to their false gods. Jonah had the right head knowledge. We see a prayer of his from the, the belly of that fish. Jonah 2 verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. God's not playing biblical trivial pursuit with Jonah in this moment. Just like a physician takes out a stethoscope and, and tests the physical condition of our heart, God's testing the spiritual condition of, of Jonah's heart. He wants to know, does Jonah's heart beat for what his heart beats for? Is he as passionate and concerned about the things that God's passionate and concerned about? So the question that we have to answer is, do we care more about what God's provided than what God created, the people God created? Do you care? Do you have more concern for perishing people than your success, your stuff, your career, your comfort, your life? How strong is the beat of your heart for what God's heart beats for and what he cares about? Are you as passionate about those who are perishing who needs God's grace than anything else? Of, there's over 8 billion people who live on the face of the earth currently, and over two-thirds do not know Jesus and are waiting for someone to tell them about God's grace and love. God cares about people. He cares about every person he's ever created, especially those who right now are outside of his love. And God's mission is to reach those people with his love and grace. And he calls people to care about what he cares about and to go and respond to his mission. Maybe Jonah eventually comes around because most people think that the book of Jonah is an autobiography. Jonah wrote it himself and he tells about his story and maybe just maybe he leaves on this question because God inspired him to pose that question to the rest of us. Do we care about what God cares about? God does care how we steward his creation. He cares that we take care of the things he's created, like the trees and the earth. He cares about animals, even the whales. 
God cares about how we care for people who are widowed or orphaned, the hungry, the homeless, the addicted, the abused. God cares about how we protect the unborn. He cares about the unity that he wants us to have despite our ethnicity or our nationality. He wants us to treat every person with respect. But God cares most about the eternity of the soul of every person he's created. It's the gospel that fuels our compassion, not philanthropy or some humanitarian interest. Listen to how the Apostle Paul expresses this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If I was to put Paul's words in my words, he says, you may think I'm crazy, but something happened in my life, Paul says. Something changed me. I was headed in one direction, and God intersected my life and interrupted my plans. And he turned me from dark to light. And because of what happened to me, Paul says, I can't shut up about it. I've got to tell every person everywhere that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And through the death, burial, resurrection, and the reigning of Jesus, I can be new, Paul says. And that's something I've got to tell everybody everywhere. Do you ever feel crazy like Paul? Does your heart beat for what God's heart beats for? Are you passionate about God's mission? I heard a question on Christian radio several years ago that stopped me in my tracks. This is the question. If God answered every prayer you've prayed over the past seven days, would anything significant change in our world? Would anyone come to know God's grace? Think about the prayers you've prayed this past seven days. Your morning prayer is something like, God, help there not be traffic backed up on the Lloyd Expressway where there's construction. God, help my kids to be healthy. God, help my boss not to be in today so I can do whatever I want. I, I don't know what your prayers consist of, but the litmus test, the, the stethoscope on our heart is by answering, do we pray for the things that God would really want us to pray for? Are there things in people's lives that would change? Would their eternity change? Because we're begging the heart of God. We're begging the throne room of God on their behalf. Here's what we have to realize. That when we say yes to receiving Jesus as Savior, it's not optional to make him Lord. It's not like we, it's, we have this a la carte menu. I'll take some Savior, but I'm not so interested in Lord today. It's not like going up to the rent-a-car counter and saying like, Mr. Heller, you know, you've got the Savior package, but would you like to upgrade to the Lord package? It doesn't work that way. 
When we say yes to Jesus as Savior, we surrender the lordship of our life to him. He is the king of our heart. We have a new, we are a new creation. We have a new identity, Paul says. We have new priorities. We have a clear purpose. We have a mission to follow. And this mission is for everyone. One of my least proudest moments uh, as a pastor, even a youth pastor, was when I attended a youth specialties conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And I was there to grow as a youth pastor and become a, a good leader. And I invited some people to go with me. And one of the people I invited was a young man named Nick. Nick actually was going to school in St. Louis. And I invited him to come because I thought it would be another time for me to convince him to quit making a, a, a waste of his life and to say yes to becoming a full-time pastor or minister. You see, Nick, I'd been his youth pastor for four years. And I saw something in Nick. I thought, man, God is up to something good in this guy's life. He's got everything that would make a great pastor. And I tried everything I could to convince him to go into full-time vocational ministry. But there was one thing that Nick wanted to do as a high school kid, fly airplanes. And he was committed to go and pursue a degree in being a pilot. And so he did. He attended St. Louis University. And after four years, he successfully completed his instrument license. But in high school, I tried to do everything I could to push Nick a certain direction. And when I invited him that night to sit with me at that youth pastor's leaders conference, I had no idea what the topic would be. And in a moment that Holy Spirit could only create, the speaker that night was a guy named Steve Taylor. And his deliberate message that night was to convict and challenge a bunch of youth pastors who were there that night who'd put a lot of pressure on people to go into full-time vocational ministry and make them feel like second-class citizens if they chose anything else. And it was a kick in my teeth that I needed. And I sat there convicted by the Holy Spirit for not just Nick and probably many other people I sent the wrong message to for most of my time as a youth pastor. It was like the room cleared afterwards and Nick and I were the only two sitting there. And the only thing I could do was muster up enough courage to look him in the eyes and say, Nick, I need to ask your forgiveness because I know you felt my disappointment that you didn't go into full-time Christian ministry, but you wanted to be a pilot. And I want to ask your forgiveness for treating you the way I have or to make you feel the way you did. And I said, Nick, I can't wait for the day when I'm going to catch a plane somewhere and I see this man walking down toward my gate who's got a really nice suit on and a cool hat carrying a briefcase. And I recognize it's you. And I say, Nick, what are you up to, man? And you're so like, hey, Phil, I'm on my way to the pilot's club. I have a, a Bible study before my two o'clock flight. Or I can't wait till I board a flight one day and this voice comes over the loudspeaker and says, good afternoon, friends. My name is Nick. I'm going to be your captain today. And before we take off today, I just want to ask God for his protection as we fly. That would make me feel very comfortable as a, a nervous flyer in the friendly skies, right? I couldn't wait for those days. But you know the crazy thing about it? Nick called me after he received his instrument license and he was flying uh, planes. He called and said, you know what, Phil? God is calling me into full-time vocational service. I'm going to seminary. I'm going to become a youth pastor. And this very day in St. Louis, Missouri, exactly where that moment happened, Nick is preaching to the congregation where he's been serving for many years as a youth pastor. I tell that story because I want all of us to realize, including myself, that regardless of our vocation, 
Regardless of where we find ourselves on the org chart or where our office is located, regardless of our gender, regardless of any other demographic information, our mission is the same. God wants us who've experienced his deep and wide love to go to a world that so desperately needs to know about his grace because we've said yes to his mission. We can't sit back and let others who don't know about what we've experienced feel excluded from experiencing what we have. The bottom line is this. Jonah fulfilled the task, but he missed the mission. Johann Verkul, who's a, proffer, proffer, a, a professor of missiology and evangelism, says this about Jonah. He says, the greatest hurdle to overcome in discharging his missionary mandate was not the sailors, nor the fish, nor Nineveh's king and citizens, but rather Jonah himself. This is Jonah's sin, the sin of a missionary whose heart is just not in him. And while God never forces any of us, he tenderly asks us to put our whole heart and soul into the work of his mission. God is still interested in transforming obstinate, irritable, depressive, peevish Jonas into heralds of the good news, which brings freedom. Jonah is the father to all those Christians who desire the benefits and blessings of grace, but refuse its responsibility. Do you care more about people who are perishing than the task at hand? Do you realize that you've accepted God's mission to share his grace and love when you said yes to Jesus as savior? He is not optional to be Lord. The book of Jonah teaches us how God pursues those who are sinful and calls all of us to join in that same mission to reach those who need God's grace. Jacques Ellul says this about Jonah in his book, Judgment of Jonah. He says, the book of Jonah has no conclusion and the final question of the book has no answer except from the one who realizes the fullness of the mercy of God and who factually, not just mythically, accomplishes the salvation of the world. Do you realize that you and I have been sent on mission just like Jonah? How do we join God's mission? Well, one way we can join God's mission is by proclaiming his word. Do you realize that the freedom of speech and religion allows you and me, regardless of where we work, regardless of where we go to school, regardless of anything, the privilege and the freedom to take our Bible with us anywhere. I have a great number of business leader friends who've taken their Bible and they just leave it open on their desk. And it's amazing to me and to them the number of people who come in and see God's word and ask about it. My sister never met her biological mother. and She didn't know anything of her existence until after her mother had passed away. And a family member gave my sister her mother's Bible. And my mom, or my sister got to meet her mom through the pages of scripture and get to know her mom's heart by the things that she had underlined, the notes that she had read in the margin. What would people come to know about you and about God by looking at your Bible? Would you be able to pass one of the copies you have because many of us in this room today have multiple copies of scripture. What about sharing that with someone who's never cracked the book? What about responding with scripture when somebody sees you going through a really tough time, but yet you know that God is never going to let, he's never going to let you down. 
And the reason you have hope is because something that's true from his word. How about sharing that instead of just kind of ignoring or hoping they won't ask? We can be on mission by declaring God's word. We can also be on mission with God by demonstrating his love. How about being patient with the boss when he's in a bad mood? How about sitting next to or befriending that person that everyone picks on or nobody has time for? How about doing the, the task and the jobs around the home, around the workplace that nobody else wants to do just because you love God? Do you think that would catch people's attention? Do you think they would want to know why you do stuff like that? It's because you're not just fulfilling a task. You're on mission. You want them to see a powerful demonstration of how much God loves them. And you're willing to move and respond in any way that God leads you. What about praying earnestly? One of the takeaways I have from the book of Jonah is that salvation is God's business. I have many people in my life that I would like to make a Christian, but that's God's business. And what he asked me to do is join my heart with his through prayer, seeking his will and his plan and his ways for their life and being available as he prompts me when I listen to him and when I speak to him in prayer. And I'm pretty sure that there's some spouse there's some parent, there's some friend here today that you feel like you've been praying for somebody in your life for many years and you haven't seen movement yet. And you're just about ready to quit. Remember, salvation is God's business. And one of the ways you can join his mission is through prayer. Don't quit praying. The prayer of a righteous person, both men and women, is effective, the Bible says. God is at work all around us. And God wants us to join him in his work. God wanted to save the Ninevites, and so he sent Jonah. And God wants to save people around us in our family, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, and he's sending us. It's time for us to show up, and it's time for us to step up. I have an important informational announcement. That is, in just a little over a week, school is starting again. I know that warrants two reactions. For all of us parents, we might want to clap. And for many in the room who are returning to school, we, you might not feel as inclined. I thought maybe one practical application today to hearing this message from Jonah about God's mission is to prayerfully commission those who are returning to the classroom in just a few days. So I'm gonna speak first to those who are involved in the school system not as a student. I wanna say something to those who are teachers or principals, those who work in the lunchroom or drive the bus, those who might be on the staff, the custodian, anybody who has a responsibility in a school system, whether it's private, public, parochial, or even homeschooling. I wanna say to you that you're not there to complete a task like teaching geometry or serving the mystery meat on Friday. You're not there just to make sure kids get back and forth safely to school or the mess is cleaned up at the end of the day. You are there on mission. God has sent you to that school with a purpose, and that is to show the grace and love of God in tangible ways to every person you make, you make eye contact with. It might be a colleague, it might be a student, it might be a parent. You are there to accomplish God's mission. And today, as your church family, 
We want to let you know that we are standing with you and we are sending you, we are commissioning you to live out this mission. So I'm going to ask you, if you're part of a school system in one of those ways I just mentioned, would you stand up right now where you're at? Whether you're here in Newburgh, at our West Campus, online, if you're watching from somewhere, if you just stand to your feet right now. The first thing I want, yes, let's give them a round of applause. The first thing I want to say to you is thank you. You have a hard job. Regardless of where your role is in the school system, you, you have committed to something that's not easy. And we respect you. And we also appreciate you. And also, we want you to know we're standing with you. And we just want to pray over you right now. And so if you're sitting next to one of these people who are standing, would you just reach your hand out and place it on their shoulder? Just let them know that you recognize them. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the men and women who are standing. Thank you that they've said yes to a job that has required lots of education themselves and a lot of certification. And, and what they're doing is they're, they want to help invest in this next generation. But God, they're not just doing there to teach arithmetic or reading. God, they're there to be a conduit of your love and light. And God, I pray a hedge of protection over each of them. God, I pray that they would have patience. I pray that they would have wisdom. I pray that they have energy, God. I pray that you would give them the right words to say in every context, in every conversation. And God, in a, in a, in a country that says that God's not welcome in school, God, you are present in school because you're living in each one of these who are standing right now because they belong to you and they have the Holy Spirit living in them. And when they step foot into a hall or into a classroom, God, you are there. And I pray that every person next to them, their colleagues and their students, their friends, those they serve, God, would see the light of Jesus living in them and that you would bless them, God. We pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I realize that you guys aren't the only ones going back to school, that in uh, this group and certainly in our West Campus, there's students who are here today. You're headed back to school, too. So students, let me just say a word of commendation to you, that you're not going back to the classroom in just a few days to get an education, though that is what the state of Indiana requires. You're going to that school, whatever school you go to, whether you're in kindergarten or in grad school, you're going there on mission. You're going there because God has people, both students and teachers, who need to see Jesus living in you. I'm reminded of a story of a teacher who goes here to Crossroads who was not following Jesus. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, it was a student in his classroom who came and said, Mr. Grippenstraw, can I pray for you? And what happened in Larry's life was not just that God healed him, but he got saved. He came to faith in Christ. So did his wife. So did his son. All because a student stepped up on mission with God. I think that's why Paul says to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. You set an example in life and love and faith and in purity and the world will recognize that there's something different about you. And so students, again, whether you're going to kindergarten or headed to grad school, regardless how old you are, would you stand up right now? We wanna pray over you too. If you're seated next to one of these students, would you just reach out and put your arm on their shoulder? Just let them know that we believe in them and we're here for them and we pray over them. Let's pray together. God, 
I pray over every student, Lord, that you would, first of all, protect them. God, we live in a crazy world. And Satan has had a rampage in in local schools in all kinds of ways, God. And I pray right now that you would put a hedge of protection over every school, but specifically every student. God, I pray that there would be no room in their hearts or in their lives for Satan to have a stronghold or a foothold, God. Emotionally and spiritually and physically, would you bless them and protect them, God? I pray that they would recognize that they're light bearers, that they're people who at a young age can make a bold stand for you. And they wouldn't get so distracted on their GPA or which college will accept them or what sport team they're playing on or what club they want to join. They wouldn't be so distracted by those tasks that they would miss their mission while you've given them this golden opportunity. And God, I wouldn't go back to junior high if you paid me, God. But I pray that you would protect every student regardless how old they are. And that, God, you would work powerfully through them because they are your children. They are your vessels. And God, the world needs to see a light that's burning bright in them. And so we as their church family, commission them, God, to go to a place that so needs your grace. Send them, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray through Christ. Amen. Let's give them a hand as well. You know, I could spend the rest of our day asking all kinds of groups of people to stand, Uh, men and women, uh, those who work in our community, those who uh, do all kinds of jobs, those who work at their homes and stay at home moms or dads. I could ask all of us to stand because all of us, regardless of anything I just mentioned, we have the same mission. The task may look different, but don't get so focused on the task like Jonah that we miss God's mission. You're on mission with God every day, everywhere you go. Every person you lock eyes with is somebody who needs the light, who needs salt. It's interesting to me that most scholars believe that when Jonah was in the belly of that big fish, that the gastric juices of the belly or in the belly of that fish bleached his entire body, his skin and his hair white. In fact, the clothing that Jonah was probably wearing that day got bleached too. And so when that boy rolled into Nineveh, he looked like a ghost. And we know what happened. The people like, whoa, we've sinned. We got to repent before God. They were freaked out because of the brightness of Jonah. It also is interesting to me that the false God that the Ninevites worshiped the most was illustrated by a big fish. Here's a man who was spit up on the shore by a big fish with dazzling white clothes. And they're like, we need to pay attention to him, right? It caught my attention that that's a parallel to how Jesus described you and I as his followers. Listen how the message translates Matthew 5. Jesus is talking and he says this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your youthfulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. Jesus says, you're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, Jesus says, as public as a city on a hill. And if I make you a light bearer, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a lampstand, a light stand. Now that I've put you there like a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, Jesus says. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, 
You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. God's mission might be for you just to step up and show up right here within the four walls of our church. We need literally hundreds of people every weekend who will hold a baby in the nursery, teach a toddler in their classroom, invest in a child or in a student. Not because that's a task that needs done, but because God's mission is to reach all people, even the youngest. In God's calling, his mission might be you for, to open up your home once a week and show people you're not that great of a housekeeper and you're not that great of a gourmet chef either, like, but you're willing to be real and authentic. And you let people come to your living room a couple times a month and study God's word and feel like they have somebody who is their friend. They feel connected. Maybe you've been thinking the whole time, please don't bring up that small group leader thing again because I know God wants me to do that, but I haven't sent that text yet. Step up and step into the game. We're not wanting a bunch of pew sitters to fill this auditorium every week. What we're wanting is people to say yes to Jesus as Savior as well as Lord and live on mission. Maybe it's just investing the skills that God's given you. Some of you are good at organizing. Some of you are good at playing an instrument. Some of you are good at just fixing things or accounting or hospitality. God's arranged all the parts just like he wants them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all called to this mission. And so Jonah resisted God's call. He fell asleep in the boat. He had a a rotten attitude when he watched what God was doing to the people of Nineveh. He's a real curmudgeon, right? The book of Jonah ends without wrapping things up in a pretty package because God wants all of us to wrestle with that question. Do we care about the same things that God cares about? Thomas Carlyle wrote a poem about Jonah. Listen how he ends it. He says this, Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonas in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. I'll be honest, Jonah's not a great example to follow. He didn't do what God really wants for us to do. And I think that's why Jesus in Matthew 12 says, there's something or someone greater than Jonah. It was him, right? Jesus was fully God. Yet he had in his fully humanness to decide what he was going to do with God's mission. Would he say yes? And the reason that Jesus is bigger and better than Jonah is because he did. There was a scene that Luke records in Luke chapter four. Jesus is visiting his home church and he was asked to read from the scriptures. And so Isaiah was where it was to be read from. And listen what the words of Isaiah reads that Jesus read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think Jesus is making a powerful statement about his identity, but he's also making a public proclamation of his commitment to God's mission. He's raising his hand and saying, I'll go. I'll say yes to God's mission. I think that's why Hebrews records this words about Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, he said, 
Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. See that fully human piece of Jesus? He had a choice to make, and he did. A body you prepared for me, Jesus said. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you weren't not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. He said, here I am. I've come to do your will. And by that will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's why Jesus is greater than Jonah, because he said yes to God's mission. So let me wrap it up for us today. Don't be a curmudgeon. Say yes to Jesus. Respond to this one who has saved you and poured out his grace upon you by saying yes and surrendering your will to the lordship of Jesus. And let him send you wherever he will to anybody who needs to know about the saving, loving grace and salvation that we have found in Jesus. The dying world is waiting on us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for recording the life and ministry of Jonah, the good, bad, and ugly God, because I can relate to somebody like that. I want to be the person who says yes every time and offers myself freely and, and, and responds obediently, God, but you know better. You know there's so many times I get distracted. I focus on the task instead of the mission. God, I, so, I, get, I get so irritable or impatient or just so self-consumed. God, would you break my heart for the same things that break your heart? God, would you allow my heart to beat for the things that your heart beats for? And God, I know most important to you are those who live in my neighborhood, those who I see at the supermarket. God, those whose kids are involved in the same activity as mine. God, the people in my family, Lord, that don't know about your love and grace. God, you have sent me to them. God, help me to say yes. God, would you work through me as a powerful conduit to show how much you love others? And God, I pray I wouldn't be alone. I pray that you would raise up an army of people through this church, God, that would say yes to you. And that whether that be in this local community or halfway across the world, God, you send us on your mission. Give us a full measure of the Holy Spirit to live confidently and be effective in what you've called us to. And may you receive all the glory, God. We pray through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.